0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts.
1: This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Robocalls have become a massive problem, and it feels like there's basically nothing that we can do about the constant spam calls and texts. So, what's actually happening here? Why did robocalling start in the first place? And is there anything you can do to stop the spammers? Dr. Brian Stewart is a computer science professor at Drexel University. With these robocalls, some days seem like they're better than others, right? I mean, sometimes I get a dozen even text messages thrown in, too. And it's not just me being bombarded by phone scams, right? Like, how big of an issue are actual robocalls and text messages right now?
0: It's quite significant. Part of it is, is because it's become so easy on the part of the people doing these kind of calls, setting up these automatic systems to call a, uh, a large swath of numbers. It's become very easy and inexpensive for them to do that. And so even if it gives them relatively little, little return, there's no reason for them not to. And so as a result, uh, yes, we pretty much all are getting bombarded by these things.
1: Mm-hmm. Is, is there a good answer to why it's happening and why it feels like it's kind of getting worse recently?
0: Well, it, it's kind of a long evolution, really. The technological aspect of it has been around for a very, very long time. Pretty much as soon as computers started communicating with modems, uh, people were interested in finding out what other computers were out there to talk to. And so they would configure their computer to dial a whole series of numbers. And if you start out with an area code and a prefix, that gives you the first six digits of the 10-digit number. And then you've got 10,000 numbers that you can just simply call. And they would program the system to call each one of these numbers and then determine, well, was it answered or not? And if it was answered, was there another modem on the other end connecting? This was known as war dialing <laughs> it it, uh, it got that name, and uh, if you see the movie war games, you 'll see an example of this in operation so that's been around for for a very, very long time now, what's changed in really kind of two aspects: one has been the fact that cell phones are now so prevalent, and the mechanisms for actually placing the calls in the cellular system are as easy or easier than they were in the uh, the traditional wired telephone system. And the regulatory things have changed a lot since. All of this started back in the 70s and 80s. Beginning in the 90s and the early 2000s, we saw, of course, the deregulation of the telephone system. And part of the competition was to tear down some of the barriers for cost. It used to be that if you dialed across certain boundaries, you had an extra charge. And so what constituted long distance kind of depended on where you were and, and where the city limits were and that sort of thing. Well, nowadays, part of the advertising, part of the selling of the services is that, well, all your calls are covered under one flat fee no matter where you're calling. And so with that kind of a a system in place, there's no disincentive for the advertisers or whoever it is to just call as blanketly as they can with all the numbers they can find. And so it's really kind of been this combination of it becoming easier on the technological side and it becoming easier and less expensive on the regulatory side.
1: Yeah, and you were saying, right, like these robocalls, they or scams, they may have been around for a while, but I feel like some of them are kind of scary now. Even if it is happening right to that like small number of people. Sometimes, you know, we hear these stories where, like, grandmoms funneled all this money to save a family member or, you know, like the IRS is filing a lawsuit. Do you know, like, how many of these things end up being ignored compared to really damaging some people?
0: Well, certainly the vast majority of them do get ignored. But all it takes is a few to really start causing some damage. And that's kind of what these people are counting on. They know that probably, I I don't know any official statistics, but say for the sake of discussion, they know that 99% of the calls are going to be completely ignored. If you make 10,000 calls, 1%, that 1% that's left is still 100. And if you get you know, even 10% of that to bite, you've now got 10 victims. So it doesn't take a lot of, in terms of percentage of response, before they can actually get some benefit from it. Knowing that most of them are going to be ignored, then what they're trying to do is come up with the sales pitch, the scam in effect, to get the most attention from the people who are most likely to answer it. People, for example, you mentioned kind of the the grandmother scenario. A lot of elderly people are very used to the idea that you always answer a telephone. It's a social construct that the telephone must be answered. They're not willing to just let it go to voicemail. That type of an audience that is often targeted because they know you know a typical uh, business person who is just as likely to be in a meeting and not able to take the call as would be able to take it, much less has learned to start screening calls you know they know they're not going to get those people very much, but if they can really kind of target the type of audience that they think's most likely to answer and respond, then they do.
1: And do we know how they do that? I mean, how I, I think about, you know, how these numbers get on the list, even those clipboards, you know, I might have put my phone number down on years ago. Like, how do they get these numbers or are they just dialing?
0: Well, there's some of both. Some of it is harvesting of numbers. And there's a whole kind of underground market in this information, in, in telephone numbers and email addresses. Uh, that have been, in some sense, verified to be valid. That's kind of the, what they like. They would rather not have calls that do nothing. They obviously would like to have calls that are actually going to people. And so they're actually willing to spend a little bit of money to get lists that are known to be good, valid lists. You know, places that a phone number or an email address or something like that has been entered, that, as I said, has a little bit of a market to it. But even without that, there's really not any disincentive on their part to just, you know, trying all the numbers. Now, certainly, if you've got a 10-digit number, you're not going to try every single one of those numbers. You know, three-digit area code, three-digit prefix, and a four-digit number, But if you can narrow it down in some sense, and certainly there's a relatively small number of area codes compared to the three-digit number, then it becomes more manageable. Clearly, it's not in their best interest to try to just call every single number. But if they don't have any other option, there's really not any problem with them doing that except for the time it takes.
1: And we keep saying they or what they're doing. Do we know who's actually making these calls? Is it like one person or is there a warehouse in New Jersey somewhere with the people with headsets on or something like that?
0: Oh, in most cases, it's not even humans. What the people who run these things have done is they've set it up. Well, so if we kind of go back to the original Ward Island. Where, you know, you would dial a number, you programmed your computer to just go through all the numbers and dial. And then you would record whether it had answered or not, and whether there was a computer on the other end or not. So you can tell in the connection whether or not it's been answered. Well, it's very easy then to simply add a recording that plays as soon as you get an answer. And in fact, they've even gotten a little more sophisticated where it will wait until it hears what sounds like a human voice, and then it will play the recording. And these recordings then, you know, they don't have to pay anybody to actually say these words to every answer that they get. They're counting on somebody to respond to it. I frequently get them, for example, for telling me I I should renew my car's warranty. That's one of the common ones I've been getting lately. And it's pretty clear that it is a recording. You know, if you listen all the way through, they basically give you a number to call back. And that's when they've got you on the hook is if you do call back on that. Now, there are legitimate ones that use the same sort of techniques. For example, the Red Cross. You know, if you donate blood, they have you on their list. And so then they will periodically call to remind you that, you know, hey, you haven't donated in a while. Do you want to come in and donate? And they use the same technology. Very often, it's a, a robocall that is recorded. It can be useful, but you know, it, it obviously can be abused. And the, the scams that are sort of out to—I mean, there's kind of two classes of those. There's the ones that are, okay, this is just our best way of advertising. You know, We can't afford television commercials, so we're going to advertise by robocalling. And then there's the group that's we're trying to lull you into something, get your money, and run off with it. Kind of the, the, the classic uh, Nigerian prince emails. You know that uh, I, I have this sum of of you know six million five hundred thousand U.S. dollars in this bank. I need you to, to you know take it for me. You know we've all gotten those kinds of emails, and uh, a lot of these calls are are kind of of that same form.
1: So you saying, right, because I was just about to ask some, right, legality questions, like how is this legal? But hearing how, you know, some people use robocallings for good, is there actual law out there kind of like putting teeth into these robocallers taking over our phones?
0: Well, there was an attempt made to address this in the national do not call list. And the idea behind it was you could, as a consumer, say, I want to put my number on the list. And then if anybody called that without having, you know, a legitimate permission to do so, they could be held liable. What I heard about what was going on with it, you know, from various people who got their numbers on the list and so on, was that it was partially successful but there were a few problems. One was that there was a delay typically between the time in which you said, I wanna put my number on the list and the time when you could kind of count on the robocallers getting copies of the list and taking you out of their calling set. The other is that, say they do call you, now what do you do? Well, you have to then file a report and you have to try to do something about this. And most people just aren 't interested in, in going to that much effort and time when it 's going to probably only fix one of the callers and you may have a whole bunch of other callers that are still there
1: right so there 's really no other legal safeguards than just like adding your number basically to another list that 's out there
0: not that i 'm aware of you know certainly if the the activity that they're trying to get you involved in is an illegal activity. If, if it really is a, gen, a real scam, then that scam is prosecutable. But the calling itself, to my knowledge, is not.
1: What about on the phone company side? Because I know you mentioned maybe some of this kind of became easier because of them. So is Verizon or AT&T, are they able to do anything?
0: Not much, In principle, they could detect cases where, let's say, instead of having a list that was purchased on the the gray market, they were literally going through every number in order. That's the kind of pattern that the phone company could notice. The question would then be, what motivation do they have to do something about it? And Considering that they are now talking about, you know, to do something about it effectively means cutting off one of their customers. They would really need a good sense that to not do something is going to cause them to lose more customers. And unless the the customer base kind of rose up collectively and said to AT&T or Verizon, you know, we need you to do something about this, or we are going to go to somebody else. It's hard to imagine them going to that effort. And then there's the question of who else are you going to go to? <laughs> you know, there, there's currently no carrier that really does a complete job of blocking this sort of thing. Now, one thing I have noticed fairly recently is that sometimes the caller ID information will actually say suspected spam. And so I think the phone companies are actively engaged in trying to do something. But I think it's, a, again, a question of what drives them to do that. Well, it's got to be in terms of their legitimate customers. Individual legitimate customers complaining aren't, isn't going to do very much. But if you get enough of them complaining, you know, then it becomes, at the very least... It'll reduce our cost of our call center if we can, you know, do something to reduce these complaints.
1: Right. But I also, I mean, back on the side of the scammers, because, you know, so far today, it's in the afternoon, I've already gotten about three spam calls two of those were numbers that were looked like Philly numbers or numbers around here like one had a 610 215 area code sometimes even closer to my cell phone number I mean what's happening there on like that are some scammers just better at hacking the system on that tech level
0: what they're often doing is actually, Okay, so for a given contract, even though it is quote-unquote unlimited, if you did too much calling too rapidly, there would be you know, fine print in the terms of service that would say it's not really unlimited in, under those kind of circumstances. So they will actually have contracts with a lot of different uh, numbers that they work with. And one of the things that they understand is that most people are more likely to answer it if it looks like a local number. And so it behooves them to have these, especially in major metropolitan areas, numbers that are local to that area. It's interesting, my cell phone is one that I got when I was living in Georgia, and I kept the number when I moved up here. So it still, area code-wise, looks like a Georgia number. And frequently, the spam calls I get have Georgia numbers. You know, it gets back to that idea of, you know, picking your mark and tailoring it to who they think they're most likely to be able to pull into this. So, knowing that people are more likely to answer a local number, that's one of the things they do. And I was really amused. I was getting some for a while. Now, some of them were not local, but I was getting a whole series for a while that when I let it go to voicemail and I would play the voicemail, there'd be a little bit of music in the background and then someone speaking another language. And I don't know if that was just they were trying to hit everybody who knew that language or if they had something that was trying to detect the language from my answering machine message and getting it wrong. But yeah, I had quite a bit that was like that. And some of it was local.
1: So is there like really a pattern out there then? I guess not for some of them.
0: Not really. You know, I think a lot of it does have to do with how much your number gets out there. Can they scrape it off of websites? Are they able to buy a list of legitimate numbers? And so the more that you are kind of out there using your phone as a method of contact for people to be able to reach you, the more likely it is that your number will be one of the ones that they will pick up in that way. But even if you aren't on any of those lists, they could still get you through just the random or sequential dialing.
1: Yeah, it really makes me wonder where I have written down my cell phone number in the past.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, when you think about the number of places that you might say something like that, for example... I don't usually use it for my students. I, I, I tell my students that the phone is not a very good way to get in touch with me and, and especially to ask questions. You know, the, the kinds of questions my students are going to ask just can't be communicated very well purely on the telephone. But I give them my cell phone number on the syllabus for emergency use. You know, If, if they have fallen and broken their leg and they need to let me know immediately or something like that. So, you know, it's out there in that sense. I don't do a whole lot of other kind of advertising to make my presence known. And so I probably get, on average, maybe one or two a day. Whereas, you know, as you said, you've already gotten three this afternoon. Again, I I think a lot of that probably has to do with how easy is it to find that number? Does it show up? on web searches does it show up in these kinds of lists where maybe you know you've ordered a product and it asks for your phone number so you put in your phone number and then some part of the infrastructure out there there was somebody not entirely on the up and up who said hey we can make some extra money by selling these numbers
1: so, I mean, given that, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, do you think there is an end to robocalls? Is there any type of solution or something promising maybe in the pipeline that this could be solved or maybe become less irritating?
0: Not really that I'm aware of. Now, I think the, as I mentioned before, I, I am starting to see caller ID information indicate suspected spam. I think that's definitely a good step in the right direction. Ultimately, if nobody ever responded to them, if there was never any benefit to the people making the calls, then they wouldn't do it. It's definitely because they do get some small fraction of people that actually respond. Ultimately, it wouldn't surprise me if enough of the populace just kind of gets in the habit of not answering a number they don't recognize, letting it always go to voicemail, and just completely ignoring the voicemails that are clearly these kinds of advertising and scam type things. And if enough of that happens, then it will reach a point where the benefit is outweighed by the cost, and it'll pretty much stop when that happens. Whether or not we ever reach the point where enough people are doing that, I don't know. But one of the interesting phenomena is that, you know, as we often see, a lot of the targeting is toward the elderly. As that part of the population turns over and people who are more familiar with this practice and who are already used to the idea of screening calls become the elderly, it may well at that point reach a stage where it's no longer profitable. That's pure speculation, and it's, you know, some years out. But it wouldn't surprise me if, say, 30 or 40 years from now, we have a conversation where we're talking about, well, why did robocalling die off?
1: So we're waiting and ignoring for the time being.
0: That's, I think, probably about the best we can do. Like I said, if there was enough, especially kind of organized uproar and complaint... That would motivate the phone companies to do even more than they are doing. But it's a little bit of an empty threat to say, I'm going to drop my service from you and go to somebody else if they all know that the somebody else I'm going to go to is going to be in the same boat. Now, if there were a, let's say you had a a small cellular provider who developed a really good way of screening this stuff. And they made that part of their key advertising to draw in customers. The existence of one that has that capability that you could then, as a customer, use as your threat. Okay, If you don't do something, I'm going to such and such a a vendor because they at least claim to have very good blocking for this kind of thing. If something like that were to come along, I think that would... Do a lot to spur the main companies, the mainstream providers into doing even more than they 're trying to do now, uh, you know they 're doing some now it, it kind of feels good, looks good to you know say we 're doing this we 're doing what we can, but if they had you know somebody lighting a fire under them to drive them a little bit harder it 's entirely possible they could come up with even better techniques as i said it 's not all that difficult to detect patterns. In calling, that would be for kind of indicative of this sort of thing, where you have large numbers of calls that are all separated by two minutes from each other, and the calls themselves never last very long. And, you know, detecting a pattern like that is not all that hard to do. Now, what you do about it once you've detected it, you know, that's a big question. But if there was uh, a good reason for customer bases to say, we're going to leave this provider, go to another provider because they have a better way of controlling that, then that would be a good motivation for the mainstream providers to also start doing a better job of that.
1: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Brees, and we'll have another episode out soon.